Hello and welcome to Dyslexics Wanted, celebrating the unique strengths and creativity so often the hallmark of people with dyslexia. This is Jordan Rich, and the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia is inviting you to join this podcast. If you or someone you care about has a story to tell, we'd consider featuring it right here on the Dyslexics Wanted podcast. Send us your story, email us, jordan at chartproductions.com, or call and leave a message, 781-356-1500. Today's guest is awesome. His name is Jonathan Mooney. He's a dyslexic writer, speaker, and, quote, do-gooder, who didn't learn to read until he was 12 years old. He's the best-selling author of such books as Learning Outside the Lines and Normal Sucks. He's won so many awards, too. The Harry S. Truman Fellowship for Public Services, a finalist for a Rhodes Scholarship, L.A. Achievement Award from the Lab School of Washington, where he shared the stage with Vice President Joe Biden. And he's been featured on HBO, NPR, The New York Times, NBC, Fast Company, and many other media outlets. If you get a chance, check out his website, jonathanmooney.com, or his TED Talks, because he's a very powerful speaker with an important message. Here's just a sample. You know, and in my life, it was really three things. You know, first and foremost, I had folks in my life who helped me build a positive self-concept of who I was as a learner. Because there's a lot of negativity that surrounds this experience. I was a kid who believed that because I was different, I was deficient. That I was the stupid, crazy, and lazy kid. But I've come to believe to my core that these things that we have labeled to be deficiencies or disorders aren't that. They are differences in the truest sense of the word. And the thing that really disables individuals is the way that those differences are treated by others. He's Jonathan Mooney, our guest today on Dyslexics Wanted. Well, I'll start by saying if anyone has not seen your TED Talks or the videos that are linked to your website, they owe it to themselves to do so. They're very, very moving and I guess as powerful as I've ever seen. So thank you for doing that. We'll begin with that. Jonathan, tell me a little bit about your current schedule because we were talking about that before going on air. Yeah, well, hey, I, first of all, I appreciate you saying about about the videos. Uh, you know, if you, if you, uh, if you can't read... Uh, yeah, you should be able to talk. So, mm. like, that's kind of how I uh, uh, made made my way through uh, struggling in school. Uh, was uh, um, you know uh, building on the the strength of, of speaking. So, I really appreciate you recognizing that Absolutely. and celebrating celebrating Thanks. that. Thank you. Uh, hey, yeah, you know, I've, I've, it's been twenty years of uh, of being an advocate for folks who learn differently. Um, uh, that that takes many forms. Uh, it takes the form of of, um, of writing. It takes the form of uh, developing social ventures that engage and, and empower folks with differences. Uh, and then it takes the form of, of speaking. So I'm in the middle of a 40 uh, or 50 event um, fall um, to get get the word out, and more importantly. Um, celebrate and advocate for the neurodiverse for, for for a new book that I wrote called Normal Sucks and uh, it's been 20 years of doing this work and it'll be 20 more. Some of the things you present are so simple and, and words matter when you say it's not deficiencies but difference. It's something that anybody at any level can understand. <laughs> Let's go back though because your story is so compelling and uh, I mentioned the books in the introduction. We'll touch on a few of them but when you look back at how you were dealing with your situation and being treated by others and the pain that you were finding yourself in uh, when you were a youngster. 
do you sometimes pinch yourself and say, wow, I got through that amazingly difficult period and here I am? Because it seems like a story of not just redemption, but overcoming extreme challenge. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for every, every day because I'll be honest, I didn't, I didn't think I would uh, live, live uh, to see 30. Um, you know, I, I was a kid who uh, was made to feel stupid, crazy, and lazy. Mm. Uh, I spent a lot of the day uh, hanging out with the janitor in the hallway. Um, grew up on a first-name basis with Shirley, the receptionist in the principal's office, and uh, spent a lot of the day hiding in the bathroom to escape reading out loud with tears streaming down my face. Mm. Um, I didn't learn to read until I was 12. Uh, was diagnosed with dyslexia and other language-based learning differences in third grade. Um, diagnosed with ADD in, uh, in, in fifth grade and uh, struggled with anxiety and depression um, and had a plan for suicide when I was 12. Right. So when I fast forward and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, share with people that I've graduated from Brown University with an honors degree in, of all things, English literature, <laughs> and uh, uh, went off to write three books and, and uh, be an advocate for folks like me. Uh, I am grateful uh, uh, every day for for the journey of change I went on, but perhaps more importantly, I'm, I'm grateful for the people who facilitated uh, that journey of change and who mm. believed in me when others did not. I also want to get to a story about a baseball game and your dad, which is so compelling and so, uh, just it just gives you chills. But let's talk about Mr. Rosenbaum. We've all had teachers we remember fondly, but this guy, boy, Mr. R made a big difference in your life, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, you know, he was my third grade teacher. He, he was a teacher who had a relentless commitment to the idea that everybody had something uh, right with them. And um, I needed that uh, more than ever because all uh, many people talked about was what was wrong with me. And uh, I remember the day like it was yesterday when, when he came to me and, and uh, said, hey, Jonathan, you know, I've been, I've been watching you and um, uh, you are so good at telling stories. Uh, you are so good at telling stories that you could be a writer. And I was nine years old. Um, no one had ever said anything like that to me before. Mm. And I turned to him and said, Mr. R, a writer? Are you out of your goddamn mind? <laughs> you know, I can't spell, man. And uh, the guy looked at me and he said, Jonathan, in my class, screw spelling. And it was a revelation and a revolution uh, because nobody had ever told me put aside what you can't do and focus on what you can do. And that was a fork in the road uh, of yeah. my journey. He was somebody that saw the good. He was somebody that was relentlessly committed to building on the good. Mm. And he flipped what is a uh, relentless deficit model that surrounds many young folks with dyslexia and other learning differences. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. More teachers out there uh, need to hear that. More students, more parents need to hear that. And I know there are a lot of great teachers who are doing that kind of thing today. Before we get to the story about your dad and something very serious, the thought about killing yourself at a very young age, I love your website because it's you talking in your language. And, and by the way, I'm not the world's greatest speller. I don't have dyslexia. But there are obvious issues with some spelling, and who cares? <laughs> yeah, that's right, Ben. Um, that that's it. You know, it's it's uh, it's interesting. You know, we don't tell uh, folks with visual impairment that they have to see to be valuable. Mm. We don't tell people with hearing impairment that they have to 
here to be valuable humans. And yet we tell folks with dyslexia, which is a brain difference, um, that they have to stop being different and be like everybody else. And so it was um, a real um, hard thing for me to do, to uh, uh, commit to writing a public-facing um, a document, a text like the website, in the way that I would write it. Uh, and I was inspired, frankly, by uh, a college student that I met in my travels at Syracuse University. And I'll never forget this, this young lady. And uh, I met her about 15 years ago when I was giving some lectures there. And she told me that she uh, refused to uh, spell check her papers and would turn them in uh, as they were in the original dyslexies, her word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she uh, uh, fought the university to not uh, make her change. And so it took me a long time to come to that, uh, and I did that with the website. Um, that's not to say that there's not a time and a place where you need to get help uh, to make sure that your writing uh, meets the narrow definition of good writing. My, my books are edited, etc. But I thought it was important for me to, to be who I was uh, very intentionally in right. that public setting. I, for one, saw the truth in that, and I understood what you were doing, and I think it's absolutely fine. I want to talk to you, though, about your story that you've related in TED Talks, and I'm sure in your books, about being around 12 years old and being pretty serious about ending your life. And we hear about teenage suicide all the time. It's a tragedy. If you don't mind, would you share a little bit of the story about the baseball game and your dad? Because it just moves me, and I'm sure it'll move the audience. Yeah, uh, yeah, I absolutely will. And, and uh, first, it's important to put an exclamation point on what you said, which is we are in the middle of a, a crisis of youth well-being. Um, suicide uh, became the second leading cause of death, according to the Centers for Disease Control, for teenagers and young adults, for the first time in recorded measurement mm. about a year and a half ago. Uh, and if any listener is out there um, and has experiences like this or the one I'm going to share, uh, I implore, encourage everyone to, to get help. There are multiple online resources um, to support people who may feel that way. Uh, I was there. Um, uh, I was um, sort of relentlessly uh, belittled. Not always. Um, Mr. R and others were a refuge for me, a haven for me, but there were many times in which I was made to feel deficient as a human being. Um, that culminated in me uh, leaving school in, in sixth grade uh, as a result of uh, being bullied, uh, which is another all-too-common experience for the neurodiverse, uh, and also me being accused of plagiarizing something that I had written or dictated to my mom at home. Uh, and I was told that people with dyslexia could never have good ideas like the one I had. Uh, and so we left school, and that was uh, the worst place I'd ever been. Uh, that's when I had a plan for suicide, a, a note written out. Uh, and shortly after I left school, uh, me and my father went to a very famous uh, baseball game for any baseball fans out there. It was the 88 World Series. It was Los Angeles Dodgers uh, versus the Oakland A's. And what makes that game so famous is uh, Kirk Gibson hit a walk-off home run, injured in the ninth inning uh, to end the game. And I don't even remember the game. <laughs> what I remember is being in the parking lot with my father. My father was somebody who uh, struggled with neurodiversities himself. My father was somebody who at times shamed me for my differences. 
and we were sitting in the car waiting for the traffic to go away. And uh, I was expecting a lecture, you know, go back to school, buck up, work harder, all of those things from my dad. And my dad turned to me and said, Jonathan, I love you regardless of how you do in school. I love you for who you are. And that was a lifesaver. And I don't mean that uh, in a metaphoric way. I mean that in a literal way. Went home, crumbled up that note, and uh, survived that time in my life because of unconditional uh, love and acceptance, uh, a message that I was okay as I was. And that has to be, for your father at the time, a very difficult thing to do because of his, as you say, neurodiversity. It's tough enough for people in in their general state of everyday life to be able to swing into action and say something like that to a 12-year-old who's very troubled, but I'm sure you gave your father some credit for that as well. Uh, All the credit in the world. Mm. Um, You know, there is a cycle of shame that we can get trapped in sometimes. You know, my dad had a nun uh, in his Catholic schools named Sister Payne. And her name was well-earned. She knew her way around a ruler. Uh, My father uh, had ears that were supposedly a little too large. And so his mom taped those behind his head. He was consistently shamed. And what happens sometimes is we perpetuate that shame cycle. uh, And we, uh, out of love, out out of not wanting somebody to struggle, out of misguided love, uh, reinforce the messages they're getting. Getting, And my father broke that cycle with one sentence. It was uh, an act of courage. Uh, it was a, an act of unconditional love. And uh, I hold myself uh, accountable to, to that uh, moment uh, as a role model for me in my interactions with my children, my interactions with every human being that I encounter. Can I be uh, like my father was in that moment? Jonathan, you have written some books with interesting titles, Normal Sucks, How to Live, Learn, and Thrive Outside the Lines. Learning Outside the Lines was the first one, I believe. I love the name of the article that you wrote for the Brown Reader, Brown University celebrating their 250th anniversary at the time. The Dyslexic Brain Kicks Ass. Uh, Here's why I mention these exceedingly interesting titles. It seems to me that attention is finally focused by not just academics, but by people like yourself who are doing just that, kicking a little bit of ass and and just not taking it anymore. When you were 12 years old, people were expected to take it. Yeah, we were were expected to um, accept the way we were treated. Mm-hmm. We were expected to uh, change who we were to fit um, the narrow definition of intelligence in school. And we were um, told to accept um, that our differences made us deficient. And um, I'm proud to be a part of a movement. And, and, and it's not me. It's, it's you. It's your organization. It's your listeners. It's many around the country who aren't going to take it anymore. Uh, who say that uh, different isn't deficient, that people have a right to be different, and that the treatment of being the kid in the hallway or the kid hiding in the bathroom to escape reading out out loud is wrong. It's not a tragedy. It's actually a crime. And we should uh, be angry about that. Uh, We should be angry in a productive way. Um, We should uh, channel that anger to advocate for a more just and inclusive world to advocate for public policy in schools that embraces and destigmatizes 
recording differences, uh, but still we have a right to be angry, and no one should have to take it anymore. And you're on the trail. You were saying a schedule of yours, which sounds pretty grueling, but you're obviously loving it. You meet people at the events you speak at, and uh, share with us an example or two of the kind of people that might surprise an audience that they might be dealing with the same kind of thing. Because I'll tell you, I've interviewed artists, poets, I've interviewed scientists, I've interviewed photographers, people who are doing great things despite what others said they could never do. Tell me a little bit about what you've encountered in your travels. I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's 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 uh, human beings from all walks of life, um, from the highest uh, echelons of academia to the uh, museum hallways of the world to Silicon Valley, who uh, attribute their success uh, despite what they were told about themselves, but because of their difference. And that's perhaps the biggest shift that I've seen in, in my 20 years uh, since my first book, Running Outside the Lines, came out, and my 20 years of traveling. Uh, for a long time, uh, we uh, phrased this as people overcoming their dyslexia. Uh, but the reality is I didn't overcome my dyslexia. If I overcame anything, it was dystichia that I overcame. Mm-hmm. It was the way that difference was treated. And we know more than ever that there are whole constellations of strengths and talents that don't come despite the learning difference, but because of them. We know that dyslexia and other language-based learning differences highly correlates, one could say causes, creativity, Mm. problem-solving, entrepreneurship, innovation. And I see that bared out every day, and the people who are having the courage to to, to out themselves and not hide this difference and share their story with others uh, and celebrate what makes them different. Back in the day, there was an expression, hey, that guy over there, he's got street smarts. Not very good in school, but boy, does he have street smarts. I, I would venture to say that almost everybody I've encountered who has uh, had an, an experience with dyslexia or any learning disabilities, so many of them have the old school street smarts because they kind of have to, and then adjusting to school. Where do you think we are? I mean, there's a long way to go always, but we've made some progress. Where, where do we stand today? What are you seeing out there that's promising? What, what are the problem areas? We're at a, uh, an inflection point where we can we can go left and double down on an old school model that doesn't work for folks with learning differences, and frankly, I would argue doesn't work for a whole vast number of human beings. Or we can go right and we can reimagine a system and evolve learning for the 21st century. And I really think we are at that fork in the road. Um, I have to be real with you. You know, I started my public advocacy uh, in the heyday of No Child Left Behind, which was a public policy that standardized education deeply. And it's important to note that that was bipartisan legislation. It was actually legislation that was sponsored by uh, former uh, Senator Edward Kennedy. Uh, It's not a partisan politics issue. And over the 15 years of 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 that policy, which was doubled down on by the Obama administration, uh, we were uh, standardizing our education and subsequently leaving so many kids out. And I continued to hear stories of the kid in the hallway 
the kid feeling dumb, the kid hiding in the bathroom to escape reading out loud. Uh, I thought I would be telling stories from the bad old days, but those bad old days were still with us today. Mm. Now, one of the things that I am most optimistic about, and this is what I think gets us at that inflection point, is there is a whole sea change and generation of educators uh, who grew up in a culture of difference, who grew up uh, in a culture of multiple intelligence, who grew up in a culture of equity and inclusion. And not that the old generation was bad or wrong. There are many brilliant teachers like Mr. R all around the world. It's that they uh, were not supported by their teacher education. But that's changed. And so we have a choice. Do we unleash that uh, potential and power in our policy and our systems uh, of a teaching core that wants inclusion and empowerment for all kids? Or do we double down on a, on a factory-based model? I obviously believe we should be evolving education for the 21st century, embracing learning diversity as paradoxically normal and building universally designed educational environments that don't just work for some kids, but, but work for all kids. Before we let you go, I have to have you comment on another project, the book, The Short Bus, which actually involves a bus. <laughs> it reminds me of so many on-the-road movies, you know, uh, where people take out on a journey and, and set out with others around them, and it, it, it's just a cool concept. Share with us a little bit about The Short Bus Project. Yeah, I'm probably the only person in America that voluntarily got on a short, a short bus. Uh, for, for those listeners uh, who don't know the short bus, the short bus is uh, a vehicle that often takes kids in special education programs. Uh, and little known fact, uh, uh, the vast majority of kids in special education in America are students with learning differences. Um, it's the vehicle that takes them to right. special education programs. Not, not in every district, not all the time, uh, but it is a uh, pervasive um, experience. And so I bought an old short school bus and I drove around the United States uh, 45,000 uh, miles, 48 states, about six months. And uh, I wanted to uh, listen and learn from people who uh, literally or metaphorically rode the short bus in their life. And, and it was a journey of, of two things. One, it was a journey of healing. You know, I, I, I took that journey uh, uh, right after I graduated from college. You know, I went to a fancy university, Brown University. I was never supposed to go there. I transferred there. Um, and uh, I still felt that I had a hole in my soul somewhere. You know, the gold stars, the achievement didn't fill me up. And I went searching for something else. Uh, and I found it in community and fellowship with people who were told that their differences made them deficient. And I found in their stories um, a new language, a new sense of self, uh, and a common mission, a common mission to uh, reframe how we think about human beings uh, to understand that there is a continuum of uh, brains and bodies. Uh, that continuum is the reality of human experience, and we have not built a world based in that reality. We have built a world based in the myth that we should all be the same. And so the short bus uh, changed me, changed my life uh, in many ways, uh, though that journey ended uh, well over 15 years ago. I'm still riding the short bus now. I'm still an advocate for the people who ride it, and I'm still in partnership and fellowship uh, with you and others, a part of a movement that's trying to build a world based on the reality that we are all different 
on the website it says, and you're a self-proclaimed writer, speaker, and quote, do-gooder. I would second that, all three. <laughs> I think you are a do-gooder because your heart's in the right place and you have a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience to back it up. So nice to meet you. So nice to share your thoughts on this podcast. And that's our goal, to invite people who have a story to tell so we can share stories with others and move, move the needle. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Best of luck. It was really my pleasure. Thanks for doing the work that you do. Thanks once again for listening to Dyslexics Wanted. We're seeking personal stories about your dyslexia journey and would love to hear from you. If you or someone you care about have a story to tell, we would consider featuring it on this podcast. Send the story to me, Jordan, that's J-O-R-D-A-N, Jordan at chartproductions.com. Chart is spelled C-H-A-R-T. We'd love to hear from you. Remember to subscribe, download, rate, and review this podcast, available on all major web platforms. And once again, for much more, visit WICD.org. That's WICD.org.